Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Smack One. If you're new with us or if you're just visiting, uh, we're so glad that you're here with us. Uh, my name is Tim. Uh, I'm the pastor here at Smack One. Uh, and uh, we're, we're into a new series this week. Okay, so you join us. It's a good time. And if this series intrigues you, we invite you to continue and join us in the next few weeks leading up to Christmas. But before we do, uh, let's begin with our prayer. Father, help us to think rightly about what happens when we die. And help us today to submit ourselves to you, first of all. Help us to receive from you the truth from your words. Help us to receive comfort for those of us who are grieving. And help us, Lord, to receive correction if any among us harbor any wrong notions that may jeopardize our hope in you and our peace that you give us. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So yes, uh, we are going through a new series. Today we're talking about what happens when a believer dies. And this is how it's going to run down. Uh, the flow will be, next week we'll be talking about resurrection and judgment. And the next week before Christmas will be the final states. Uh, now, here's the thing. I'll be preaching on this topic in, in a BM in Iman and in the liturgical as we're going through this series. So uh, Smack has the best order of things because this is actually how the things progress. But liturgical is going to hear this sermon next week. So they're going to hear, I think, resurrection judgment first. So but this is how it goes. Now, this is a table form. This is messy. Don't worry. Okay, calm down, calm down. But this is j just a how, how things will progress, okay? We're in intermediate states right now. Right now, when people die, what, what goes on? There's a lot of things there. Okay, calm down. After today, it'll be clear. But next week, we're talking about resurrection and judgment. And beyond that will be the final states, the everlasting states, Okay? So that's how we will go and progress as we go along, okay? So don't worry. Breathe. I'll explain this. Okay, it's okay. We're good, we're good. Right. But what's important is, why is this question important? What happens when a believer dies? I'll give two reasons. One is that we need to know, oh, okay. Memento mori is a Latin phrase. It says, remember that you will die. It's, a, it's not a Christian phrase, it's a Stoic phrase, but it's a philosophy that we all face death, that life is short. Hence, because everyone will face death, we need to face it, we need to live today in light of the fact that we don't have forever on this earth. So it's something that we will all face, hence we need to know to be facing it rightly. We don't want to, be to find out in the last minute that we've wasted all the time that God has given us. So that's number one. But next is that so I apologize for the coloring of it, but the next is that we need to be facing death rightly for those of us who have already faced death. How do we walk alongside the loss that death brings? For those of us who are, are, are facing death of loved ones who have already passed on, how do we rightly think of this? So I, I will contend, yes, the, the next few subjects, uh, the next few topics in the next coming weeks are greater in hope and value and importance because that's the permanence of it. But today, I think today's topic is, is really for us today as we go through it. So, for me, okay, uh, my experience with death, as a 17-year-old, I looked at Memento Mori. I was like, I'm set. I have my faith in Christ. I, I grew up in a, in a Christian household. I was taught uh, to, to honor Christ and honor God. And first and foremost, I thought, I'm good. There's nothing that can scare me. Take me now. I'm ready to see Christ. As a 17-year-old, there was... Uh, brash young words, because I had nothing to lose, right? 
Uh, I mean, I know my, my parents would be sad if I went, but I wouldn't. So I was ready to face death at 17. And I grew up. And then uh, I, I met my wife. I've had kids. And then I began to realize there is something to lose. What, what does death mean for my death mean for them? And uh, very shortly after my son was born, some of you may know this, uh, two weeks after he was born, I lost my dad. Uh, and then I had to face what does my, death, my dad's death mean for me? Um, and, that, and that's a lot of what I'm going to share today has been the result of, of me searching through, soul searching, like what, how do I rightly think of my dad right now? And here's the thing. A lot of things are unhelpful that's out there in common Christian knowledge. So there may be some things that, you, that I say today that I say, not, maybe not this, and you may think, oh, but that's not what I've been taught. And that's okay. Because here's the thing. There is no one definitive piece of scripture that exclusively talks exclusively about this, what we call the intermediate state. The resurrection has not happened yet. As we've sung just now in the song, Christ, our hope in life and death, we will see in heaven, we will have bodies and reigning with Christ. That is great and that should be where our hope is. But that hasn't happened yet. How should we think of the dead that has passed on, the saints that have passed on today? Where are they? What are they doing? And how can we be, be rightly thinking through about our loved ones who are in Christ with when? So these are all these questions that we, we want to pack and unpack in today's, uh, sub, uh, today's sermon. And I'll be doing it in three parts, okay? Number one, what is death? Number two, what happens next? So what is death? Uh, what, the, what the Bible says death is? Uh, next, what the Bible says happens when we die? So for some of these things, there are no definitive. I can best give you from Scripture uh, where I formed my opinion, but it's still very much open. There are, there are certain um, liberties to whether this stance is right or wrong. Okay, but I'll lay out my stance, what I believe. But last and not least, we'll end by, face, by thinking about how can we take this truth for us today. And the main thought for us to take home is that death is an inevitable consequence of sin. It's of the fall. And it is transformed into an eternal living hope by Christ alone. Okay? I believe none of this is new for those of us who are already believers in Christ. But hopefully, um, there can be something for you in today's uh, sermon. So let's first think about what is death. Okay. Now, first, if you follow the outline that's provided in the service order, uh, these points will be there as well. So the cause and effect. It's important to lay the ground rules that death, human death, our, the, the death that we face of our loved ones is not part of God's good creation. Okay? That it is caused by the fall. Uh, Romans 5.12, uh, you can read it in your own Bibles if the text on the screen is too small. Just as sin came into the world through one man, through Adam, through the first human being. And therefore, death became a permanent state to, for all of humanity because the first man fell. And so death spread through all men because all have sinned. So not just Adam sinned and then we, we got caught in the cross as, but we, own, we, we have to own the fact that we are sinful as well and therefore death comes to all. That the current um, nature of this current world is fallen. Decay. Uh, corruption. Rot, it's part of this natural order uh, that we find ourselves right now. But that is not God's final plan. So, first thing in the ground, death is not good. Hence, it's a tragedy. Okay? I'm not saying that um, in a way that nothing good can come out of death. No, please don't hear me say that because God does do that. In Romans 8, 28, He works all things good, even death, 
for, the, for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. But what I'm saying is that when we think about what is permanent, that death will not be there, right? Death will not be a feature of God's eternal kingdom. It's very much a thing of this world. When he says the old order of things have passed away, he's referring in part to death as well. Now, we should understand death also as defined by human nature. What are we as human beings? Okay, <clears throat> So I, I hope for you ask for your forgiveness. I'm going to be dealing with very technical terms here, but you see why it's important when, it, when we think of death. Because when we think of death, what is human nature? What are we really? We are, we're definitely more than animals, but how? Okay? And there have been a few thoughts in church history, uh, and I'll lay out which one I, I believe it is. First and foremost is something called monism, by, by the word mono, which means one, singular. And this is from the idea in, in Scripture. So if you've read Ecclesiastes 9 that we've just read, uh, once the person dies, they cease to exist. That one's consciousness is tied into one's body. It's inseparable. Hence, when one is dead, they're asleep. They, 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 they cease to, to know things. This is monism. Okay? Um, and the idea of it is, is, very, is very common in the Old Testament where the soul, the Hebrew word for soul, nefesh, is indistinguishable from a human being. Let me give you an example. From Exodus 1, 5, in recording, uh, these are how many souls, how many people went with Jacob to Egypt. Okay, when Joseph brought his family over to Egypt, they don't say the word people. He uses the word souls, nefesh. All the nefesh, the souls that followed Joseph to Egypt. And by that, they'll mean person, living persons. Okay, so it's, inter it's interchangeable concept, monism. But the problem monism comes into with is when thinking of death and what happens. So Christians who hold to monism would advocate something called soul sleep, which means, put it this way, when you die, you go to sleep, you close your eyes, you open your eyes, you see Christ and the resurrection. That's it. And can I just put in a, a caveat that it's just so um, appealing to think that way, isn't it? For yourself, I will close my eyes. I don't know what happens, but when I open my eyes, I see Christ. Wow, isn't that amazing? So that, that's the appeal of, of this stance, monism. Okay? So the, the person is singular in nature. What's the next one? So if monism is one, there's the next one is dichotism. Okay? Two, two natures. There's the material and the immaterial. And here, there'll be the material body and the immaterial soul slash spirit. They won't make a distinction between soul or spirit. It's just immaterial. Uh, and this actually is not Christian in origin. It's actually Greek because the Greeks held that the physical is bad because it dies. But the idea of something, the spirit of something is good. The ap the a physical apple will rot and decay and brown. But the idea of an apple, a, a perfect crunch, perfect sweetness, perfect taste, that will persist. So that's a very Greek concept that the immaterial, the spiritual is ideal and the physical is bad. Again, it's not a Christian concept. But what has reigned um, recent years in Protestantism is the next one. If dichotism is two, what's the next one? Yeah, there we go. Three. Now, we don't go beyond three. There's no four, okay? <laughs> so they, they will say uh, body, soul, and spirit. That the immaterial has two parts. Uh, and they will say like the animal has souls, but what distinguishes us is the spirit because uh, we're God... Uh, when we're born on this earth, we're spiritually dead, but Christ makes us spiritually alive. They'll go along this logic to separate soul and spirit. There are some verses that seem to imply that, like Hebrews 4.12. 
that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides joint and marrow, soul and spirit. So there'll be verses like that. The only problem, so that's, that's all well and good, but the only problem with trichotism is that the Bible, when you look, take a step back and look at all references of soul and spirit, there are times when they're used interchangeably. When in the same sentence, someone's saying soul, they actually mean spirit, uh, and then the next sentence, they say spirit, but they mean the same thing. Okay? So you can think that way, but I would say that there's a problem with that view. Now, what is my view? Strictly speaking, it's none of these three. What's the fourth view that I'm thinking of? Okay? It's very much the same as it begins with monism, but it's called conditional unity. That we don't think of ourselves as separate beings. No. Who are you? Who am I? I'm Tim. It's my, my idea of my, my identity is entrenched in who I am, my physical body, but also my intellect, my soul, my spirit is who I am. And my new creation in Christ uh, that, that the Holy Spirit is making in me, that is who I'm becoming. And that's at, in, on earth in life. So primarily, it's right to be thinking of, because that's how the Bible describes us, that we're not separate beings, but that we are whole. That the desired state is physical and immaterial together in unity. But there's a time, there's a state in which this unity is broken, and that's death. Hence, death is an, in a sense, uh, unintended, like unnatural state. It's not supposed to be that material and immaterial are separated. That that's what happens at death. So death is a rupture of this unity and that's why we rightly understand it as a tragedy and as undesired state. So this will be, uh, the, the, even if you may hold to one of the above, this is the one that I'll be proceeding my, my message on. You can have later Q&A on this as well. Okay? But yes, uh, that because I, I think that there's evidence for an there's a, a immaterial existence beyond death. Okay? So but we come to our first principle, that is death is an inescapable consequence of the fall. Like the saying goes, the only thing sure in life are death and taxes, isn't it? Well, there are some countries which taxes doesn't apply, but anyways, I digress. Death is an inescapable consequence of the fall. And it's a tragedy because it's not meant to be. And here's the thing, it takes everything and makes it a loss. Death makes everything a loss. Your money, your career, the moment you die, when you pass on, you can't take it with you. That's what we've just sung. That's what we've just read. Isn't it? You can't transfer that money to heaven. Let's put it that way. Okay? And in terms of career, if you die or if you leave, even, if, even if before you die, when you leave the company, your desk will be used by another person. I'll be generous and say within the week. Okay? They, they will replace you. Someone else will sit there, right? They won't put your name on the, on the side of the building. They won't put your name on a plaque and hang it where you sat. No. Death means that's goodbye. And when it comes to family and, 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 and friends, death is a farewell. Now, for believers, that's not a final farewell, okay? But it's a separation nonetheless. That death lessens that. That there's no communication there's no post-mortem communication from the dead and the living. That's how God set things up. So death even takes that away. But what has Christ done for us? Okay, knowing He 
entered in to take our death on himself, take the consequences of sin on himself, so that in him, death may truly die. And as he died on the cross for our sins, and death as a consequence of sin, he finally took that consequence to its fullness, and he rose again three days later. So remember, even though I may not, I will not address it today, but remember, the hope of Christ's resurrection, for those of us who are united with him, we've been joining with Christ in faith, that is our hope. We will be raised with him. That's what Christ has done. That it is unnatural, it's, it's not God's internal plan, and he has provided a way out, and it's only through what Christ has done in his life, death, and resurrection. And if that's you today, today we all have to face death whether you believe in Christ or not. But if you are living true life, not believing in Christ, may I urge you, consider it. Uh, if you're curious about it, ask those around you who, 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 uh, who have decided to trust in Christ and ask them why. Because it's not a laughing matter. Because death, in a way, is final. It locks you into your internal state. Okay? But even if it's that, okay? Moving on. Like I said, we retain our consciousness. There's a conscious experience beyond death. Now, where do we see this? Now, biblically, we've read in Luke 16, a parable of Lazarus and a rich man. Now, there's a caveat. There's two main opinions of this passage in Luke 16. On one side, they want to learn about what happens after death because what happens? A poor man dies and a rich man dies. And they both go to different places in the land of the dead. Okay? And the, the rich man who was maybe living in comfort and just living for himself and with no fear of God went to a place of torment, but the poor man went to a place of blessing. And if you want to take all the lessons there, okay? Some will caution another view, which is it's just a parable. No doubt, it's unique in that it's the only parable in which Jesus names the character in the parable. But nonetheless, the main point of it is not to teach us about the intermediate state, but the main point of this parable is to teach us about the dangers of wealth. Okay, so even if we move on from Luke 16, there's other parts of the scripture, like Revelation 6, where you have martyrs who have uh, given their lives for the gospel. Before the throne, before the resurrection, are their conscience appealing before the throne, saying, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, how long, O oh Lord, until you settle things. There's also Moses and Elijah appearing with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. That one moment in Jesus' lifetime where he revealed his glory to Peter, James, and John. And Moses and Elijah, Old Testament saints, were there speaking with him about the cross that he's about to face. You can't do that if you're asleep and unaware, isn't it? So, uh, and of course, in 1 Samuel 28, you have the instance of Samuel being called by the medium. Now, I personally don't think the medium could do that. Because she was shocked when she saw Samuel right, like come up, right? But the fact that the Bible records and, and factually treats as if the, the spirit of Samuel actually spoke to the medium and then condemned Saul is a hint. It's not the point of the passage, but it's a hint that there is a conscious existence beyond uh, death. Okay? Whatever it is, soul or spirit, whatever, is immaterial. There's, there's separation between material and immaterial. So that's why I personally would reject soul sleep. As much as, as appealing as it is, I would say no. So we're not unconscious when we die. That would be my sense. Uh, but rather, what will happen then? If there is an immaterial soul that survives beyond our death, what happens next? 
and that's uh, what we're going to look at next. What happens next? Uh, yeah, the text is not really transferring very well. Uh, you can follow the outline in, in, in your service order. First is that we note for the believer, okay, the most important thing is that you are with Christ. You are with Christ. Uh, we see this in Philippians 1, 23, where Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, which means he lives, lives on, right? It's fruitful labor, yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed. My desire is to depart, die, and be with Christ, for that is far better. And we have references of, for example, Luke 23, that uh, the thief on the cross, what did Jesus say to him? Uh, Luke 23, I think 42, Today you will be with me in paradise. You will be with me. Okay? For the, the Old Testament saints, they will be, when they die, they will be with Jesus. In another passage, Paul will say in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, and he says, uh, like, he describes this earthly experience as a tent. Our bodies is a tent. Okay? Now, I, I know some of you like glamping. That's not a tent. But regardless, okay? It's still temporary. It's not as good as a house, which is what Paul describes our resurrection body. We will have a house, a lasting house from the Lord compared to this tent that we have now that will have holes that will grow old and, and grow, you know, malfunction and, and eventually die. But in between these two, he's, he's, there's this undesirable state that we, are, that we may not be found naked. And, and some scholars have taken that this is a hint to the fact that when you're not clothed, that it's the intermediate state when you're immaterial, you're not clothed. It's not desirable even though you're with Christ. Okay? But what's going on then? What can we safely assume? We are with Christ. And Hebrews 12, 1 will tell us, we are with the saints who have gone before us. Therefore, there, since there's such a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, okay? As I said just now, there's Moses and Elijah. They were not unaware. They were not static in their understanding of what God is doing. When they met with Jesus, they knew that Jesus was about to face the cross. So I would say to a certain extent, the saints in heaven are clued in to God's unfolding plan of salvation on the earth right now. And that's glorious. Okay? Uh, it's watching this unfold. Hence, that's where we see Revelation 6, the martyrs looking at, at, at people coming and joining him in heaven and asking God, how long more until we come back and be clothed? Okay? In resurrection bodies. That they're watching and waiting with anticipation. And while not immediately uh, about the souls of those who have passed on, I would take Jesus' references about there is more rejoicing in heaven over a sinner who repents. Isn't it? That, that I would include the saints in that rejoicing as well. Because that is God's work being done as they're watching and waiting and seeing that un un unfold, that they're celebrating together with the angels in God's presence. And yeah, it's woke up season, isn't it? It's, it's, it's like that, they're, that they're cheering us on they're there watching and seeing God's drama unfold. Now, caveat here. Some people, good Christians, will think that they are seeing things play out on earth, uh, and hence we, we run the race with endurance. That's what Hebrews 11 and 12, that's how they will view it, that we run with endurance uh, this race because there's this call of faith. Before this great cloud of witnesses, let us persevere on. But I will caution that a bit because we do not know for sure whether they can see what's happening on earth. 
they know what's happening on heaven for sure, for sure, because they're with Christ. They see the throne room of God. But whether the throne room of God has like a clear, you know, <laughs> clear screen TV display going on on what's going on on earth, uh, I don't know. And that's where scripture leaves us hanging. So either way, it could be right. I just want to put a caution in there. Now why? Because the temptation could be to rely or to pray to the ones who passed on, which even in the New Testament, it has never been prescribed. Even when uh, we have apostles being martyred, even when there have been those who have fallen asleep, never in the New Testament has there been any uh, prescription or instructions that we should be praying to the ones who have passed on. Now, having said that, we are not broken in connection. Christ has one body. His body is the church. Currently, in this current state, the church is in two locations, heaven and earth. Scholars will call it the church triumphant, and this is the church militant, the one fighting the fight. For the Christian who has passed on, our pilgrimage, our fight has ended. We truly rest in Christ. There is rest. Our, we come to an end of our striving and we are with Christ face to face. We are alive with Christ and we are alive with the saints. That Colossians will tell us that our life is hid with Christ on high. That Christ will take us to be with him where he is. That our loved ones who have passed on are not alone. Not just because Christ is there with them, but they are there celebrating amongst the saints who are glorified like them. And here is where the Roman Catholic notion of purgatory falls short. Because there was their idea of becoming right is because of what we do. I'm, I'm grossly simplifying here. But because of that notion, when they say when you die, there still needs, maybe you need to uh, pur purgation, purge the sin. Maybe this person who just passed on is a horrible person, although in Christ, and maybe this person you know, will not be able to go into Christ's presence directly. That's the idea behind it, that we need to be purged of our sins. But that is a misunderstanding of the righteousness we have in Christ. That for the believer, there is no condemnation because Christ has took it all. Therefore, when we die, we have a hope that we are with Christ that we are with his saints, that there is no more purification needed, but it is still an intermediate state. It is not a final state. That will come. Okay? It will still be yet to come. And that's next, next week. Okay? Just putting it there. So what have we seen so far? Okay? So let me explain this diagram now. First, before Christ came, people died and their souls went to Sheol. If this is a new word for you, Sheol just means the land of the dead. In Greek, it's called Hades. Okay? The land of the dead. There's the blessed dead and the, the, the wicked dead. And Sheol, it, that's where we get our ideas. It's the land of darkness, it's the land of sleep, unawareness. So a lot of um, analogical language are used to describe Sheol. Okay? And that's what we see in Ecclesiastes and Psalm 49 as well. Now, when Christ died, where did he go? Here's a, a question. A lot of people like to think that Luke uh, 23 would say that he, he, he is with paradise, in paradise. Uh, the thief will be with me in paradise, hence he's in heaven. But the word paradise actually means walled garden. Okay? And many take it, yeah, other scholars take it to mean not heaven, but rather 
the, the place of the blessed dead, where our Old Testament saints live, where the people named in Hebrews 11 live. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, those who have faith in God, that God will not allow them uh, to, to perish. They were in Sheol. But the means of their salvation is still Christ. So Christ, after he died, went there. He descended to the dead. And that's what we proclaim in our Apostles' Creed as well. Now, old versions of that in the King James will be, he descended to hell. And that's a, 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 a function of 16th century English because hell is directly translated from Hades. They're meaning Hades. They would, under, they would have understood. It's just that now, in our modern context, hell has been conflated with the eternal lake of fire and Hades. Now, how do we know they're two different things? Even from Revelation itself, Hades, hell, and death were thrown into the lake of fire because the old order of things are no more. Okay? So, the land of the dead, separate from, it's not, even the land of the dead right now is not an eternal state. Okay? It's, it's immaterial. So, Christ descended in Ephesians 4, verse 8. He descended and then he ascended. What does it mean that he ascended? Except that he descended. He went down to the dead. And he brought with him the saints. He proclaimed the gospel to them. They believed. They saw, wow, this is what God's doing. Amazing. Like Moses and Elijah. Yes, it's done. Is it done? We can go now. We go. So Christ brought with him the, the righteous, the, the, the saint, Old Testament saints to heaven. And that's where they are now, right now. How do we know this? Because when Stephen was stoned, what did he say? He saw Christ seated at the right hand of God. And as Stephen was being killed, this is very interesting. When Jesus died, he said, Father, to you I commit my spirit. But Stephen, he says, Jesus, to you I commit my spirit. Then he went to be with Christ in heaven. And from the post-resurrection, post-ascension appearances of Christ, he always shows himself up from heaven before Paul in Acts 9, right? Uh, before John in Revelation. When Christ shows himself, he is in heaven. And that's where saints are with him now. The dead in Christ, the second skull. What happens now? The dead in Christ go to heaven. But here's the thing. Those who die without Christ still go down to the place of torment in Sheol, awaiting the judgment. In that sense, death is final. Because whether you believe in Christ or not, the Bible teaches that you're locked into your eternal state. Okay? And then the resurrection judgment is that event, and the final states will be preached on a week after that. Okay? So how do we face death rightly? Three things for us. Number one, we do not fear death. In the face of our own death, we don't fear because Romans 8 will tell us nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, not even death. That death is a reunion. Okay? So I have a story to tell here. Um, there was once I was stationed for work at the arrival hall welcoming people, and I just saw, just it was, it was a wonderful three days for me at the arrival hall because I see families reunited. You see children running up to their dads. You see, uh, you know, family, there was even one like family welcoming, a, I think it was a daughter from overseas coming back. They had a placard and balloons and everything. They were just so happy that the child was coming home. Coming home. And that's what heaven is. For those of us who believe in Christ, death is a reunion with those who have gone before and with Christ. It's a reunion. 
It's a beautiful thing that death is gain. Next is that we don't despair. Paul comforting the Thessalonians. We grieve, but don't grieve as those without hope. Because if you grieve, if you have no hope beyond death, if it just ends and then that's it, then the loss is real. It's forever gone. But for those of us who are in Christ, we grieve with hope. Because there will be a day where we would walk and talk with them. We will, if we die before Christ comes again, we'll be in communion with them. If Christ comes back, comes back again in resurrection in our lifetime, we will be holding their hands, we'll be walking with them, we'll be talking with them, we'll be sharing about what were they going through in this time on earth. So many questions, so many conversations. So we don't despair. The, the opposite of despair is to have, no, I mean, to despair is to have no hope, isn't it? So we have a hope of where we will be. Again, we are not sure if they see us or cheer us on. So the, the emphasis here, again, is not to pray to them, but to know we can legit say, legitimately say they are in a better place. Okay? So we don't despair, but we're happy for them because they are in a better place. But last but not least, if we face death rightly, we shouldn't regret. Now, what does this have to mean in terms of our own lives? Memento mori, knowing that we one day die. What are we spending our hours today in, in doing? What opportunities are we thinking about to not miss out? As I said just now, death locks in one's eternal fate. For our loved ones who have yet to believe in Christ, don't miss an opportunity to be sharing the good news with them. Because when they die, not if they die, when they die, it will be too late. I know we know this, but I think this is a good reminder for us to be facing death rightly. Time is short. Life is too short to be wasted on things that will not last. Only Christ is gain. Only Christ can turn death from a loss into a gain. So I said just now that death reduces. Death makes, makes it less meaningful, isn't it? The things that people usually live for. But Christ is the only thing that's worth living for that death will not reduce. If you live for Christ, when you die, you will only get more of Him. If you've lived for Christ, for His sake and the Gospels, when you die, you will not lose. You would have gained. Because that's what the Bible says, exhorts us to store treasures in heaven. Having a healthy bank account is all well and good, but not at the expense of storing up treasures where moth and rust do not destroy. And that's how we should be thinking about today. That Christ is the only thing that makes life living for, that death will not reduce. Our loved ones who have already passed on know this for a fact. I pray, my prayer for us is that even as we go through this series, even as we go facing Advent, Christmas, let's not miss out any opportunities to be thinking rightly about death, not missing any opportunities. And as a slight plug, as we do church, as we do Christian community, this is worth investing in because we're going to be seeing each other for eternity. Community lunch, there'll be an eternal wedding feast in heaven. 
So that's what was, that's, I hope we feel that that's what's uh, worth investing our time in. Let's pray. Father, for those of us who need a reminder of the hope that we have in you, help us, Lord, to be thinking rightly, to responding rightly, where any of us have been distracted by this world, distracted by our careers, distracted by um, chasing after things in this life, even something as precious as family or our children. Help us to wake up to the fact that we need to be preparing ourselves for death. We need to be preparing our children to have that life, life that, that right thinking and perspective on life. Help us, Lord, to realize, for those of us who are parents, that if we are modeling for them, for our children, a life that chases after only things right now, of studies, of, of money, of houses and things, that these things will not last. Help us, O Lord, to turn this around. Help us, O Lord, to be telling them of hope only in you. And for those parents who have been doing so, Father, help them to persevere. For the rest of us, O Lord, who have been, been living in a way, for, for those of us who have been um, giving freely, have been storing up treasure in heaven, I pray that they may be encouraged to continue doing so. Help us, O Lord. You know where we are. For we need, ultimately, we need you. So Father, we can't do this by our own strength. We can't do this by our own might. So help us, O Lord, to be hearing and obeying you. Um, not to live for this world, but what does it mean to be living for you? Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.